Well, it's good to be back preaching to uh, something other than a camera. It's, uh, it's just great to, 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 to be here with you all today and uh, in, the, in the presence of our Lord and to hear, hear his word. You remember those, uh, those who've been following this sermon series last week, um, Jesus sent out his disciples into the, into the surrounding countryside and they all went to towns and villages all around the place uh, and they did this, the same things that he'd been doing. They started healing people and driving out demons and preaching the word. And uh, it seems to me that, that at that time that that area of Israel must have been in total turmoil because nothing like this had ever happened before, had it? Uh, you know, the, probably since the time of the Exodus when they had the, the amazing miracles uh, that led to them, to them leaving Egypt. But that happened in Egypt. As far as I can think, there's nothing like this, nothing even close to it had ever happened in Israel. But here they are, not just Jesus doing this, but all spreading out and all around and, 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 and the disciples each going out and doing the same sort of things. I'm trying to put myself into that position. Like, it, Suppose that if we can sort of go into our time machine and uh, still be a church but go back there and think about how we would... If we heard, say, someone... We heard, we get, we heard rumours of a bloke in Adelaide somewhere who's, who's doing these things, that suddenly stuff that we've never heard of, like healing people who can't be healed, driving out demons, a storm on the St Vincent's Gulf, just he speaks and it stops, that sort of stuff. We, you know, we hear rumours of it and we think, well, I wonder what this is about. And then suddenly one of these disciples turns up in Middleton and, and suddenly there's no, there's no second-hand market for gophers anymore because everybody can, you know, everybody can walk again. And, and, and the, the, the Melaleuca court, when people hear this, they go up and get their relatives, the people who've just gone there to die and they're healed. And, and the people who, who no one wants to know and have anything to do with because they've, they've given up their lives to, to drugs or the pokies or whatever, and suddenly their lives are turned around and they're going around the town telling everyone that this is what God has done for me. If we heard something like that, if we saw that sort of thing happening, we'd think something's happening and we'd think something's going on here, wouldn't we? We'd think this is, this is something to do with God. And that's what, that's what Herod heard, thought too when he heard that these things were happening. You remember that Herod had put John the Baptist into jail and, uh, and under the, on the urging of his wife and the, his stepdaughter he'd, he'd removed John's head. Um, and when you do that to someone you don't then expect to hear that they're back again. And yet here Herod is hearing that, that they, all these things are happening in Israel and people are saying this is John the Baptist come back to life. So Herod himself must have been very disturbed and concerned about that. He'd, wondering, he'd be wondering what's going on here and he sought to see Jesus. He wanted to see for himself what was happening. As far as we know, he never got to see him until the night before Jesus' crucifixion when Pilate, who was trying to, to wash his hands of the whole thing, sent him to Herod, hoping Herod might do something with this, this difficult man. But what Herod saw was a, a broken and forsaken man beaten and bruised and bleeding without a friend in the world and he would have thought to himself well 
I needn't have bothered because there's nothing to see here. But then the 12 came back to Jesus and no doubt they were on top of the world and elated for all the stuff that they'd seen happening because Jesus had sent them out with his authority and so he was doing the same, they were doing the same things that he'd been doing. And they came back and Jesus decided that they really needed a bit of a rest, a bit of time and of uh, getting away and a sort of a retreat, I suppose you'd say. And so he put them in, took them in the boat and they went across the lake to, a, to Bethsaida, to a nice quiet place. And <coughs> Except that when they arrive on the other side, there's this, this big crowd waiting for them because the people would... They hadn't had enough and they wanted to. They, they wanted more so they were following him all the way around the lake and, and there they are waiting for him. And Jesus says to them, look, this isn't fair. I want a bit of rest here and my disciples need rest. So just all clear off and give us a... He didn't say that, did he? he that's what I would say. And probably a lot of you would say it too, but Jesus is not like us. He had compassion on them. He looked at them and he was sorry for them and he wanted to help them and so he, he healed their sick and, and he preached the word to them. But then we got to the, uh, the like, you, you know, I mean, you've all been to public things, haven't you, out in the open. Like the one that comes to my mind is the Harry Butler day last year out in the airport. You go to that sort of thing out in the open, well, it's probably my... Uh, my stomach but I go to that sort of thing I've got to have something to eat and especially if you've been out in the in the in the in the weather all day and, and uh, this is probably going to come as a surprise to you but but back then in Jesus day they didn't have hamburger stands or uh, you couldn't just go and buy a steak sandwich or a coffee uh, it just wasn't available and so all these people there they're so desperate to hear the word they're so desperate to see these healings and to, to have their friends healed that they've stayed on late and suddenly there's, there's nothing to eat and they, they're a long way from home. And, uh, and the disciples are worried about this so they say, Jesus, tell these people to, to go home um, or at least to go, to go into the towns around about and get something to eat. And Jesus says to them, you give them something to eat. And, and the word you there in the Greek is, is emphatic. It's, it's you, it's not, not, not anyone else. You give them something to eat. And they just... That, how can we? Look, all, look, all we've got is these these loaves, of, a few loaves of bread, and a couple of fish. How, how are we going to feed all them? That's, we, we can't do that. Anyway, Jesus, of course, he knew what what he was going to do, and uh, I suppose he, in saying that, he was he was trying to to see where they're at with him, because just after this, actually, is where next week we get on to the reading where. Jesus asked them, who do you say that I am? And who are people saying that I am? So anyway, he, he tells them to get the, uh, the crowd to sit down in groups of about 50. Uh, the 5,000 men plus whatever women and children were there as well. And I presume they put them in groups of 50 just to make it uh, a bit easier to, to make sure that everyone got something. And he pronounces a blessing over the food, which just means that he said grace, basically. You know, oh, Sovereign Lord Yahweh, maker of heaven and earth, we thank you for this bread and this fish. And so it's just that sort of thing. 
And then he starts breaking it up and giving it to the disciples and they gave it to the people. And everyone didn't just get a bite. They got more than enough. They got enough that they were, the, the text says that they ate and they were satisfied. So what are, we, what are we to make of this? I mean, there's the obvious thing that, that this is the, the creator creating. That the one who made the universe and all that's in it is there making bread and fish out of nothing. So it's on a smaller scale, but it's exactly the same thing. No one can make something out of nothing. But that's what Jesus was doing here. But it seems to be something more than just that in this, in this miracle. This, is, by the way, is actually the only miracle that's in all four Gospels, apart from the resurrection. Um, which is interesting, isn't it? That all four, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, all thought this thing was so important that they all put it in. And what is it about, about bread? Why has bread come up so often in the Gospels? Uh, I had a look in my concordance and there's 60, more than 60 times where the word bread is used in the, in the Gospels. It, Luke kind of just leaves it there. He said the people ate and were satisfied. But what does he mean by that? that we, we can actually go to, to John's Gospel and get a lot more stuff that Jesus said straight after this. And it gives us a, a bit of an insight into what Luke was actually being a little bit, um, uh, you know, not, not t- telling us the whole picture but leaving us to work it out for ourselves. Um, because the satisfaction that the people had, turns out, was just that they weren't hungry anymore for food. Not for spiritual stuff, for food. Um, because in jo- John's Gospel, after this miracle, Jesus uh, said to them, um, I am the bread that came down from heaven. And I am the, I am the bread of life. But what, did he, what did he mean by that? Because it was, cl- it was quite clear that these people just didn't get it. They didn't know what, was, what had happened. Even the disciples didn't seem to realise what, what had just happened. I have to confess here that, that my understanding of this has been confused and, and difficult for a long time, I think due to my high church Anglican upbringing, uh, where the whole thing of, the whole thing of uh, Jesus being the bread of life sort of got mixed up with, um, with communion and... Um, yeah, yeah, the whole in in my brain. Look, I don't want to blame anyone for this, but but in my brain, the whole thing was confused, and I really didn't know what Jesus meant when he said, "I am the bread of life." Uh, and it's been a struggle for me to work it out. But but actually, when we look at the text in John, it's pretty obvious. And you probably all, I'm probably telling you all stuff that you all know because it's just, it's just me. Just don't worry about it. But I'm going to go through it anyway. Um, I am the bread of life. Jesus said to them, said to these people, you're following me and you want, and, and, and you're coming after me, not because you understood what I did when I did this miracle, but because you want more to eat. 
And like this is, this is pretty serious stuff, because if we don't understand this, then we're really missing out on the whole gospel. Um, people, especially people in times before, you know, we live in a time where pretty much all of us go to bed having had a good meal. We we don't we're not hard up for food most of us. But, in, but in, in previous times, life was a struggle to get enough to eat for pretty much the whole of the human race. And so someone who comes along, a new king, and, and, and John's Gospel tells us that after this miracle, the people wanted to come and take Jesus by force and make him king. But they didn't understand why. The, the reason they wanted to do that was so that their bellies would be full. They wanted someone who would give them everything they wanted. That's the sort of king they wanted. They wanted a king who could make sure that they were never hungry again and, they, and drive the Romans out. That, that, that was the king they wanted. So they, they just massively failed to understand what was going on here with this miracle. And so Jesus tried to explain to them when he said, I am the bread of life, I am the bread that came down from heaven. But even still, they, they said, well, you know, Moses gave us the manna in the wilderness, gave our forefathers the manna in the wilderness. What are you going to do? This is, what, this is the sort of thing we want you to do so that we won't be hungry again. But Jesus, he, would, he, he tried to explain to them, and, and you, you can read all about this in, in chapter 6 of John, and it's a very long passage. And by the end of it, they still didn't get it. And so I think it's really important that we understand what he was on about when he said, I am the bread of life. I am the bread that came down from heaven. He said, he said Moses gave you the, the manna from heaven, gave the, your forefathers the manna from heaven, but they ate it and they still died. But I am the bread that comes down from heaven, which if someone eats it, he will not die. And so that's where we get, we, we get to understand, we get a glimpse of what Jesus is on about here. He's not talking about bread made with flour and water and yeast he's talking about himself he said my, the bread that I will give you is my flesh meaning not that people that you will eat my body the, this body but that, that the, the bread that I will give you is my body for the life of the world so what he's saying is I'm going to die on the cross that is my body I'm giving for you. That is the bread. And, and through that, you will live forever. You will not die. And I, I, I ask you to go home and read this passage in John, in chapter 6 of John. And, and it's, uh, to me, it's so frustrating because all the way through it, he's saying these things and he's making it very clear and explaining it. And at the end of it, they still don't get it. And it says that most of his disciples at that point up and left. Not the twelve, lots of the, the other followers. They all left him because they, they just didn't want to... That's not the sort of king they wanted. They, they wanted... In fact, they wanted a gospel that provided them with, you know... I'll, I'll follow you, Jesus. You give me bread every day. You give me what I need. Buy me a BMW, whatever. That's not the gospel. It's the prosperity gospel, of course. I am the bread 
that came down from heaven for the life of the world. So, am I reading too much into this miracle? I don't know. But given that John, that's the way John presented it, I think it, it's, it's legitimate for us to do so. To, uh, you know, I've kind of abandoned my notes a bit here. I'm sorry. I... People need to be need to be hungry, don't they, before they they want to be fed. I mean, that's pretty obvious. The trouble is that our society, I think, has filled up on junk food. Um, it's kind of why the gospel is seems to be more accepted in in poor countries and countries that that aren't saturated with the, with the sort of media that we have. We 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 have eaten it at the wrong troughs. We've um, or this society. We've eaten the wrong stuff, and so it kind of it has kind of given us a bit of satisfaction, given the people of the of this of Australia or of the Western world a bit of satisfaction. They uh, they feel like they've been fed, but they haven't, and in the end, of course, it's going to fail. It's uh, yeah. So look, just to to summarise. Bread from heaven is Jesus dying for me. It's as simple as that. When Jesus says, I am the bread of life, that's what he means. He means that he, is, he gave his body on the cross for us. It's not me eating or doing anything except just trusting in him. Well, I think it's very appropriate now that we... Um, share in the in communion together and so I'd ask you as as you eat the bread um, you know Thomas Cranmer the great Archbishop of the Reformation he said he thought it was a good thing if you came to communion really hungry because then when you ate the bread and you felt it going into your body and you felt it doing you good then that reminded you that Jesus himself died for you and uh, without him you have nothing so I leave you with that thought as we uh, share together in the Lord's Supper